Rethinking healthcare takes more than disruption. It takes more than thought leaders. It takes change makers and doers. That's who we'll be speaking to on the Healthcare Rethink podcast, giving you, our dedicated listeners, a rich body of insights to make your own change. This is the Healthcare Rethink podcast. Jeffrey, thanks for coming. Uh, you've been over at the Interoperability sh- uh, Showcase, I think, today. You've been at HIMSS. We were just both talking about how exhausting of a conference this is. It's my eighth. What number of HIMSS is it for you? This is my second. Second HIMSS, yeah. They uh, they get worse. They don't get better. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're, uh, it's neat. They're getting bigger and bigger. We're talking through just everything here. Um, you've done a lot, a lot of work in the uh, health equity space. We're going to talk about that today with FinThrive. And um, I want to hear about this role and, and actually the company a little bit. It's a cool name, Core Education PBC, like what's that and what have you been up to there? Yeah, so Core Education PBC is essentially an operating partner to colleges and universities around the country awesome. um, and really working on their healthcare programs, really supporting workforce needs, really around the SDOH and making sure the workforce is a major part of, of what the college or university does. Cool, that's very cool. Uh, you're passionate about something called empathetic leadership, and I'll be honest, I consider myself a pretty smart guy and I have not heard that. I've heard of health IQ and um, uh, EQ and those types of things, but talk to me about empathetic leadership. Yeah, I mean, so what you just said is kind of all connected. I mean, yeah. empathetic leadership is really the idea that as a leader, you're gonna, be, you're gonna have empathy in everything that you do. Nice. And so regardless of the situation or the condition, you're gonna demonstrate that to each and every person, regardless of position. That's cool, that's very cool. You helped publish a report on disparities in the grand state of Pennsylvania. We were talking about Harrisburg. If you haven't been there, it's a wonderful town to go visit. It's very Norman Rockwell, I would call it. Um, what was that report about? Um, you partnered with AARP, I believe, and, and did some work there. Let's walk us through that a little yeah. bit. So that was during the pandemic, and, and actually we, we did a little bit of an update actually during it as well. That was a, a report actually that Drexel University uh, with ARP, nice. uh, as well as several of us in the state that were leaders within the health equity space, came together to really look at disrupting disparities. Um, and actually we did, a, we did a full release of that actually last fall, where we looked at you know some of the urban, rural, suburban challenges. And obviously Pennsylvania is a state that had a lot of redlining. And Absolutely. so if you look at the redlining that happened, you can see the inequities are still in place today. Awesome, awesome. Uh, you discussed new competencies for the healthcare workforce to be culturally competent. Um, you hear about cultural competencies at my hospital. We learned about that and being being respectful to everyone's culture, just not your culture. And I think it's a sensitive topic. Like it's getting more and more with the DEI stuff and everything else more, um, I guess, streamlined or, or, or mainstream, if you use that word. But what does cultural competency mean to you? And like, what are you doing to promote it in, in your uh, travels? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, look, at the end of the day, to me, it really means that we're going to show respect, value, and appreciation for each and every person. Yeah. Uh, regardless of where they come from, what their culture is, their ethnic, you know, their ethnicity, we're there to, to you know, truly engage with them in a meaningful relationship. And so um, we really have to train on that because, you know, it's very different. And in our healthcare system, which has some systemic issues, we haven't really moved the needle in these areas, frankly. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, what are opportunities in data with this? FinThrive is a, a data software company. We pride ourselves on having very, very rich data sets. I just talked to Alex Wendling at University of Virginia and his work that he did with Utica um, about using data sets to understand disparities in care, be of these social vulnerabilities or neighborhood risk scores. Um, where do you see the role in data in a lot of the work you do? Yeah, I mean, data is huge, as you know. Yeah. And, and I think in the health equity lens, you know, I know in Pennsylvania and Obviously, Dr. Rachel Levine was our Secretary of Health and obviously now is the Assistant Secretary of Health. And 
when, when Dr. Levine led our pandemic response, I served on her leadership team for that response. And one of the things we noticed, we, we didn't really have rich data right. um, to truly understand. Our hospitals were doing incredible work, but when it came down to it, we still didn't know what was the impact on the LGBTQ plus community versus another community. And so we have to really leverage data through every aspect of our healthcare system. Totally. Like what, can you give me some examples of like that data application? Like what types of things do you think are valuable from data inputs to drive a different output? Yeah. So if you look at like an Epic or a Cerner, just, you know, from the, from the very foundation, you know, with you have Soji, for example, as yeah. you know, you know, well, you know, during the pandemic, we should have been able to leverage Soji yeah, totally. to really get a sense of how did individuals, you know, uh, you know, disproportionately are impacted just because of who they are. Right. But we didn't have that opportunity right. because we weren't leveraging the data in an inter interoperability manner. Yeah, I, I, I was in a session a couple of days ago and they talked about the prepare template, which I hadn't heard about. And it's spelled with an A, not an E, by the way. And it, it measures these risk assessments. And I was talking with Alex in the podcast prior about, you know, it's not a, it sounds funny, but you don't ask someone that comes into a hospital, hey, are you single? It's like something you hear in a bar, not in a hospital. But it totally makes sense, right? Like, do you live alone? Do you have like a support structure? Do you own a vehicle? Those are pretty personal questions and you kind of have to have a, you have to have a third party data set to kind of help understand the whole picture and socioeconomic status and barriers to make sure that care is delivered equitably. Do you have a thought on that or? No, yeah, I do. I mean, I think ultimately you're you're right. We've got to have that. And I also call that, you know, a connection between the social determinants and also the, the totally. political determinants. Yeah, right. Because, you know, some places of housing are truly political. Yeah. Um, some, you know, matters of zoning are truly political. And totally. so I always talk about the political determinants as a connection to yeah. that. You're not going to sucker me in. I'm not going to talk politics with you today, but we'll certainly, we'll certainly keep going here. Uh, what are what are some other uh, opportunities and data to better understand health equity? Uh, we, we, you talked a little bit about um, SOGI and, 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 and some of those measurement principles, but specifically, have you seen like in your AARP report or others, like what were some specific things that actually changed behavior based off the data input? Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure at FinThrive, you're familiar with the health equity tracker out of the yep. Morehouse School yep, of Medicine. Totally. So yep. that was a you know CDC funded Google uh, project that I actually served as an advisor on. And nice. one of the things that we learned in that project is, is you should be leveraging that across our country because you have country, you have nation, state, and you can even go down to the locality. Yep. Now the, nat the natural opportunity is that we're not pulling all that in and actually putting together innovative plans to address health equity. That's the next step of this phase is really to leverage all that collectible data and actually put plans together to address it. Yeah, I was listening yesterday. Uh, there's a hospital in Texas in the Parkland area mm. that is looking at um, something called NETS, non-emergency transport services. Mm. service, And they're not like 911 calls, which you can track, but these are people that need like a, a, a ride to the hospital, you know, either through an Uber or a Lyft or even a medical ambulance, you know, that doesn't need an EMS person mm -hmm. on it. But and they're tracking like how much it's used and the car densities in those areas to ensure that people get to care that they need. And they're actually talking to, you know, transport agencies, some of even the rural or uh, urban transport um, infrastructure to say, hey, you know, you might want to put a bus station there or we need to talk about rail and making another stop or um, we don't have enough vehicles to get folks where we're at. It really is a community community type outreach, which I found fascinating. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, where do you see policy or market forces hindering this? Like what's in our way? Like how do we get out of our own way with health equity? Well, I mean, I think Congress is, is a great opportunity. 
I mean, I think yeah. if you look at it, we've made a lot of strides at CMS. We make a lot of strides at all these agencies, but then you have a change in administration and then you take steps back. And so, you know, uh, at all levels of government, we've got to understand that health equity is about people. It's not about politics. Right. It's not about what you identify. It's truly about people. Yeah. And so we've got to move it in that way. Yeah, I think it's about wellness and health care. I think one of the things you'll hear me say is it's a sick care system right now. It's very yeah. episodic. It's very revolving door. It's like people don't really actively go to get well in the majority. It's the kind of the exception, not the rule. And the system's not set up that way. It's very coin operated for lack of a better way yeah. of putting it. And it's paid that way too. It's incentivized to kind of perpetuate that door moving around. And we need to kind of remove the door and make it more of a open lobby to where yeah. people can come in and out as they need and to. I mean, and a great yeah. example of that is maternal mortality. Totally. Yeah. I mean, to sit in 2023 yeah. and still have a, a true crisis in maternal mortality is yeah. a perfect example where we have not moved the needle. Right. And life expectancy has gone down for the two years in a row, right? Which is really scary. I was joking around with um, some of my colleagues at FinThrive. You know, we got to reevaluate our 401k and maybe we need to draw from that a little bit because it's calculated on a, you know, a timetable that's a lot longer, right? Um, uh, how do you define health equity? Define it for me. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you probably have seen the iconic image. Yeah. And so, you know, to me, health equity, it really means that uh, regardless of, of where you come from, from a, from a culture, ethnicity, and you have an, an opportunity um, that you're going to have your needs met for who you are. Nice. Um, and, and, and really, you know, from a healthcare perspective, obviously, we know that there are some you know, communities that are going to be disproportionately impacted just because of systemically how they were raised, where they grew up, where they lived. And, and we've got to be able to create a system where they have a chance to be just as healthy as I do just because of who I am. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, you're over at the interoperability. It's hard to say. You're over at the interoperability showcase today. You're a Hims ambassador. You're doing it with a buddy. What's going on over there? What's that interoperability uh, showcase doing? What are yeah, you doing? there's some really neat projects. Yeah. Um, I mean, one, you know, for example, you were talking about EMS. There's one over there that uh, UMass did, nice. which actually was leveraging Fitbit and and actually Apple Watch data, uh -huh. um, and actually using it to leverage uh, integration. And they were actually seeing, you know, the opportunity to leverage technology to improve one's health and actually have an individual literally get a call or a visit from a paramedic just on that data alone. Um, so there's some really innovative, you know, technology and interoperability work occurring there and, and, and some stuff dealing with health equity. Nice. Very cool. Jeffrey's all over the place. Uh, he's, 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 you can tell he's passionate. He's a dad. He's got little kids that keep him busy. I don't know where you find your energy. It's awesome. Go check him out at the interoperability uh, showcase today. Uh, look him up, LinkedIn with him, uh, figure out, keep doing what you're doing, man. I really appreciate the time that you spent with us and uh, hopefully we'll get uh, those folks in Washington to start supporting some of this stuff a little bit better and we'll start seeing it as a benefit in all the health plans. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your time. Yeah.